Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Mark Stoleroff. He's a producer who's been making micro-budget films for many years. His new feature film, Driver X, starring Patrick Fabian, will be available in theaters and on-demand November 30th. We talk about his approach to making indie films and how to make the most of your film's budget. Let's get into it. And here we are with Mark Stoleroff. Mark, thanks for being on the podcast, man. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, there, there's so many things to talk with you about. You got your new feature film, Driver X. You got the No Budget Film School. Um, I want to talk to you about those and your, your experience crowdfunding and being a producer, um, but before we get into all that, can, can you give us a little background about yourself and how you got into filmmaking? Yeah, I'll try to keep this short. I'm, uh, I have been around a long time, so it gets harder <laughs> the older you get to keep that short. So, um, I'm a, I'm an independent producer. I, the last, I don't know, 16 years, I guess I've been mainly just being, uh, just have been a producer, um, I specialize in micro budget filmmaking and I guess to back up to kind of get to where I am now, I am um, grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, I'm at that age where there was no, when I was a kid, there was no video. So, you know, I, I, I got interested in film, I think because my dad was a, was a big, you know, super eight guy and would make, you know, family movies and we would sit in the living room and watch the movies on, on an eight millimeter projector. And I think that's probably where I got the bug. And so when I was in high school, this would be the late seventies, early eighties. I started, you know, making little films on eight millimeter instead of doing like book reports. So it, it kind of came from that, out of that, that kind of interest. And, um, when I went to college, went to the university of Texas, uh, I majored in business cause I wasn't, I was kind of too chicken to, to major in film, but they had a really good undergraduate film program there. And, um, this was 83 when I got into school. And if you can imagine, I mean, the American independent film movement didn't really start until the early nineties. So, mm-hmm. There wasn't there wasn't this idea that you would go and learn how to make films and become a filmmaker unless you, you thought you were going to be a, a big studio filmmaker and so nobody did that, but I I thought you know I really want to do this even though it just sounds completely impractical that's why I majored in business and I got in this thing called the business honors program, which allowed me it kind of gave me the flexibility to start taking film classes, and I took all the prerequisite classes I I started uh, and then I got into you know, the film production track of classes. And I made films on 16 millimeter, you know, wind up bell and Hal camera. Um, uh, you know, you shot reversal black and white film and you edited it on a razor blade and all this stuff. And I just loved it. I, I, I thought I was pretty good at it and I really loved it. But mm-hmm. when I graduated, I, again, I kind of chickened out and I, I did two years of investment banking and I figured I would do it just to earn some credit with my parents, which, which that part worked out pretty well, actually. Um, <laughs> I went off to New York. I came back to Houston. I, I started a, a, a live theater with a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, produced like five, uh, 40 shows. This was kind of my introduction to micro-budget whatever. It was micro-budget theater and um, kind of DIY theater. And then, but I, you know, I really wanted to do was, 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 was make films. And at that point, 
uh, Clerks and El Mariachi and Slacker and these films started coming out that kind of set created a model. Uh, I would call it a, you know kind of micro budget filmmaking model. Um, Peter Broderick, who I'll mention you know in a bit, you know wrote a series of articles about that model and um, that there was a model e- evolving coming out of this you know this movement of filmmakers in the early '90s. I saw Clerks and I said I'm I'm doing that. I'm going to go. I'm going to direct that. I can I can I can come up with thirty thousand dollars and. And so uh, I eventually moved to L.A. in 94, started working at Corman, Roger Corman's company. A friend of mine was running the studio there, started out as a PA, you know, worked my way up the production track, um, was an AD. I production managed a, a short film that won the Academy Award back then, um, worked on a bunch of, you know, low-budget features. And then Peter Broderick, this gentleman I mentioned, uh, in 97, he started a company called Next Wave Films, which gave... Um, the mandate was to give finishing funds to exceptional low-budget films, and uh, he he got uh, he talked IFC into financing the company. And I heard about this company was out when I was visiting South by Southwest when they announced it, and I said, "Oh my God, that's what I want to do! I want to work for that guy." You know, and that, that's exact that that w- the company's mission was right down you know my alley, and so I gave him my resume in the halls of of uh, at the convention center and uh, and. Uh, uh, in Austin. And, um, he was the first person that was the first person he hired. And I worked for him for six years. And that experience was, you know, really tremendous experience. Um, we looked at, uh, probably three or 4,000 films during that period. I probably personally looked at some part of 2000 films, which, which will, which will teach you a lot. Um, we got, you know, we got involved in 13 films. We took seven films to Sundance. We took five films to Toronto, uh, the first film we got involved with, which we which we ended up not doing, was was Darren Aronofsky's Pie, um, but we we agreed on that film. I worked on it for four months, and then it, then the deal kind of fell through right when they got into Sundance. Um, so the first official film we got involved with was um, Joe Carnahan's Blood Guts Bullets and Octane, which was a seven thousand dollar feature. Um, our next film was Chris Nolan's following, which was a $6,000 film. And, and on, you know, we did in a lot of other great movies. We did Amir Barlev's first film. And, um, and so in that, that experience, I really learned a lot. I, I, uh, talked to hundreds and hundreds of no budget filmmakers. And, um, when the company closed in 2002, I didn't really know what else to do. Um, I mean, I was still very passionate about no budget filmmaking, and I had met a gentleman named Henry Burial when I was there. Uh, he did a feature called Somebody that we gave finishing funds to. When it came to us, came to us pretty finished. I mean, you know, these these films would come to us on VHS tape uh, until the until the very kind of in the last couple of years they would come on, on DVD. But um, the you know v- version of the film that we saw before we gave finishing funds was pretty close to being done. He'd spent three thousand dollars on that movie. It was a shot on Canon XL1. It was a two-man crew, and it was just a ter- terrific movie. And um, I became a producer on it. We we got involved. We took it to to Sundance. It got into dramatic competition in two thousand one Sundance Film Festival. It must have been the lowest budget film they've ever had in in dramatic competition. Um, oh. It was the first time a film had been digitally shot and digitally projected at Sundance. Um, we sold that film to Lot Forty Seven. Um, got an advance. It, it was released theatrically. It looked all great, and then Lot. 47 went out of business and they never released it on video. So oh. no one's, no one's ever really seen that movie unless they saw it on the independent film channel or, or saw it in a theater. And, um, and so, uh, when next wave closed, uh, I was, I, I started working with a gentleman named Ron Judkins, who's a, who's a director and a producer. And he's also won two Academy Awards for production sound. He's been nominated five times. Um, and we had met, he had a film that we repped, um, 
that uh, that went to Sundance, um, and we met and we and we decided we would start a company that would give that would be like do a slate of micro budget films. And uh, Henry at that time had a film that he was trying to make for a couple million dollars, and then the producers kind of bailed on him. And and you know I heard about the film, and and uh, um, it was in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, and uh, they did a reading of it. And I thought this is a great movie. I want to do this. And so Ron and I decided we would just do it for fifty thousand dollars. We didn't even we didn't even break down the script. We just decided that was the amount of money we could we could throw in ourselves and, hmm. and, um, and it turned out, you know, we probably spent about 75,000 at the end of the day, um, with everything and, um, made this film called true love and it didn't get into Sundance. It, it was very close. Um, but that was kind of the beginning of working with Henry in a, in a more, you know, as a, as a kind of full, you know, full on producer and, and financing the movies. And, and so driver X is our fifth feature together. Um, these are all micro budget films. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, where I am now. I mean, I, I've done, I've worked with other producer, I mean, sorry, other filmmakers since, uh, next wave closed. Um, and as you mentioned, I, uh, in 2005, I started something called no budget film school, which is, um, which is mostly a, a, a two day class that I teach. I mean, I do other things off of that, but it's mostly a two day weekend class that I teach, um, uh, I do it here in Los Angeles. I do it at Raleigh studios and then I've done it in other cities and it's really what I do when I have time. Um, it's not a full-time gig for me. It's, it's when I you know have time in between other shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, wow. A lot of information in there. A lot of good stuff. Um, quite a career, my man. Uh, and, uh, this, this, this latest thing looks great. The, the trailer of driver X really piqued my interest. Um, can you give us a little sort of a synopsis? Yeah. So driver X is about a, a guy named Leonard who's a 50 something, uh, former record store owner, um, who is now, uh, taking care of kids during the day His two young daughters. His wife works during the day. He's trying to find a, a job. He's been probably out of work for a couple of years. He's looking for, for work in the, in the music business. He doesn't know really anything else. He's, he's passionate about music for all his life. But he's 50 and he doesn't, he's not going to get a job in the music business, which is kind of run by millennials. And you kind of see that in the beginning of the movie. And then early on uh, in the movie, his wife comes to him and says, uh, we're out of money and, and, you know, we have the mortgage coming due and, and uh, you need to step it up and just go out and find some kind of work. And so he starts uh, driving for an Uber-like rideshare company called DriverX. Um, uh, and because he's taking care of his kids during the day, uh, he's doing the night shift. And so he's he's getting a lot of younger people, a lot of drunk people, crazy, you know, you know kind of not crazy people, but, you know, things, crazy things that are happening in his car. Um, that's that's essentially the, the setup for the story. And um, the background for the story, the kind of story behind the story is that um, Henry and I had uh, finished this film called The House of Jack Built, which premiered at the L.A. Film Festival and you know, played a bunch of festivals and won a bunch of awards and, and had gotten distribution. And in fact, it's on you know Netflix now. And, um, after that we were looking to do a bigger budget film finally. And so we not finally, cause we've, we've, we've kind of flirted with the idea in the past, but, um, Henry had a genre film, a horror film, and we were trying to make it. And we had this company that was going to um, finance the film and we were like ready to go. We had broken down the script. We had a line producer, um, we were talking, you know, we're looking at locations. I was taking pictures and traveling around and, and, um, it was going to happen. And then the, the financing fell through and then, uh, then it 
but we did put something else together and then that fell through. And then for the, so for almost the entire year of 2014, we were, you know, kind of sitting on our hands waiting for this movie to, to happen and, you know, kind of rewriting the script and doing a bunch of stuff, but we weren't working on other projects because we kept thinking this was going to happen. And, and, you know, Henry has two young boys. He's married. His wife works during the day. He couldn't take on other work. And so she came to him and said, Hey, we, the mortgage is due. We need to you know pay the bills. And he started driving for Uber hmm. late at night. Um, and so he would call me in the middle of the night, I'm up late and he would tell me like crazy things that were happening in his car. And it was pretty quickly, pretty quickly. We realized that there was a really good movie there and it was pretty obvious to me that we could make that movie in the same way we've made all the other movies, you know, self-financed, uh, you know, effectively on a tiny budget. Um, that's kind of the, the key. And I think, you know, for me, uh, the way that works is you, you, um, it's kind of a, a critical. You, you try to reach a critical mass and elements that you can put together, you know, without paying for them, or or you have some idea. So for us, it was, you know, we knew that the the film, a lot of the film, would be set in a car, and we had the car. That was Henry's car, and we knew that there would be probably a number, a, a bunch of the film set in the house where, you know, he's he's dealing with his wife and kids, and so. Uh, we had we used Henry's house, and so I figured that's that's got to be most of the movie right there. And it turns out that's probably I don't know eighty five percent of the locations. We there are we do have a lot of locations in the movie, um, but the bulk of the movie is you know half of the movie is probably set in the car at night, and the other pretty big chunk of it set in the house. And um, and then the other kind of last little piece of the puzzle I think to kind of get to feeling like we can kind of just move forward without you know knowing what else is happening is is the lead actor because he's he's in every scene and. And uh, even before script, you knew that he was going to be in most of every scene. And and um, we had worked with uh, Patrick Fabian, uh, Better Call Saul, before. He was in a, a previous movie of ours called Pig because um, he's friends with Henry. I mean, they play beach volleyball together uh, with big group. And um, and when he mentioned Patrick, I was like, yeah, maybe. I mean, he's a really good actor. And he's been on a lot of stuff. And But he just every role he plays, he's wearing a suit and he's – super confident and slick and good looking guy and just didn't seem like the character, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, uh, this is where I learned something, you know, really valuable. Good actors are good actors and they can, you know, they can do what you need them to do. And he's so terrific in the movie. I think it's, I think people who are fans of his, who've seen him on, you know, big love and better call Saul and, and all these things he's done, um, are going to be really surprised at how good he is at playing the kind of, you know, not confident, not well-dressed schlubby kind of guy, you know, he just, mm-hmm. he's just terrific. Um, so that's, that's, that, that's the story. I mean, the, the movie, you know, we, we used to talk about it when we were making it as, Oh, it's a, it's an Uber movie and it's about someone driving for Uber, but it's really, you know, once it was finished and we kind of started showing it to people at festivals, we realized, I mean, it's really not, I mean, it, yes, he drives for Uber, but it's really a movie about getting older, about um, kind of losing your place in the world, trying to find your, your place in a new world, um, you know, technologies have disrupted a lot of jobs and, and people's careers. And when you're 50, you know, what do you do? And and a lot of people are joining the gig economy. They don't, it's not necessarily working out for them. They're, they're, they're meeting the generation behind them. When you're driving for Uber, you're meeting the, the generation that's coming up, that's kind of taking over the world. And, you know, this guy's not ready to hand over the reins yet. So it, mm-hmm. it really talks a lot about that. It deals a lot about being married in, in, a, in a long-term marriage with kids and with dealing with financial problems and, um, and, uh, you know, while certainly a lot of young people have seen it and enjoy the movie, you know, it really is something for kind of a middle-aged audience to, uh, to really see, you know, a lot of themselves in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, 
And I think you, you know, if you saw the trailer, obviously you, you, they, they, I thought they did a really good job with the trailer of kind of pitching it toward that part of the, of what was going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, living in LA and I have taken Ubers, um, I, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm, I'm 40. So oh, that, uh, that sounds young to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I, the longer I stay in this town though, uh, the younger everybody else gets. It's, oh, yeah. it's very strange. And so I, I actually relate to him and, and the craziness, the crazy nights in Hollywood and whatnot. Um, he and, and those, is, you know, those nights, you know, written right out of his experience. We didn't, we, I don't think we made up really any of the rides. We wow. made up a couple of things. Um, I mean, certainly it's a fiction, but, um, but I don't think very little of the rides were made up and, and I don't think anything was made up whole, you know, out of just whole cloth, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. So as far as the budgeting goes, because th- this is impressive what you've pulled off. Um, you, you already mentioned the locations you had on lockdown and the car. Um, and then you you raised money on Kickstarter. Um, over 40 grand. Is that correct? Yeah, we actually raised... We raised forty grand on Kickstarter, and then somebody else who had been flirting with giving us money uh, gave us ten thousand after the Kickstarter campaign ended. So that so I would say we we raised you know fifty thousand dollars that we didn't have to give back essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than you know minus what we have to what we have to you know spend to cover the fulfillment of the Kickstarter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really impressive, and um, I I'm curious. You've seemed to to found a great balance between uh, your budget and your actors, your actors with star recognition. Um, A lot of these, you you have a few actors in in this Driver X and uh, people recognize them. And I think that that lends instant credibility to your film. How do you, how do you balance that? I mean, you you mentioned he was a friend of Henry's. Um, Did that play into it or? Yeah, so basically, this one was tricky because uh, it's fifty speaking parts. So we knew we would have a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of it would that would that would be there because it's SAG, it's SAG ultra low budget, and we're, we're only paying paying the um, the the um, scale. But that's still you add it up, it's a lot of money, and and um, so that that's actually of the of the budget, a lot of it did go to the actors, um, mm-hmm. even though no one was you know making more than scale. So my kind of theory on on um, on acting when you're making a micro budget film is to hire the best actor you possibly can, um, the the person who's who's really you know great for the role, who's gonna who's gonna deliver an amazing performance. Um, it's not necessarily to hire a name um, for a variety of reasons. And one of the first reasons is that, you know, generally when you're making a film, uh, if, especially if you, you know, you're making a film for $50,000, you're, 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 you're being pretty radical. Um, and it's not going to be the typical experience. And you're going to be asking a lot of cast and crew. You're working with probably way less people. You're not going to have kind of the normal things and trailers and, craft service and, and, uh, you know, maybe you don't have permits and these kinds of things. And so you don't want a famous actor who's, who doesn't want to be there, who you're paying $10,000 a day to, who's going to be whining and, you know, whatever you need someone who's really on board, who's going to do everything and more that you could ask. And, um, and, and that may not be a famous person. So, uh, you know, on every film we've done, we've had 
we've had actors who were great. They were terrific performers. And in some cases they were, you know, they had worked and been on things, but more than anything, they wanted to do that part more than, and, and for whatever reasons, they really wanted to do it. And they were, you just told, you know, you, you gave them their instructions and they did it, you know, and they were, they gave you 150% of, you know, what you asked for. And so that's what you need on a, on a movie like this. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, in trying to find people that have some kind of name recognition because it's so useful, you know, uh, it's useful when you're going to festivals, it's useful when you're doing a Kickstarter campaign. Um, it's useful all up and down the, the, you know, the, the, the track of it. Um, but you, you really, you really have to be careful and not, and not hire just because they're a name, um, when you're doing this kind of a movie. And so Patrick was perfect because, you know, he really wanted to do the role. We were already friends with him. We had a good relationship. We brought him in really early when Henry was still writing the script and worked with, very closely with him on the script because Patrick has two young daughters. Um, and then, and then with the other roles, we were basically looking at who do we know, that has been in things or whatever. So we started out, you know, I don't know if we started that way, but we, we had, we certainly thought that way. Um, we had worked with Desmond Borges, who's on you're the, you're the uh, worst. He was in our last film. We thought, well, this role could be great for him. So we kind of wrote that role for him and he was terrific as Tom in the movie. He's the third lead. Um, Oscar Nunez, also a volleyball guy. Um, we knew there was a role for him. Melissa Fumero was in our last movie. We uh, gave her one of the parts um, uh, Iqbal from, from Glee is a friend of, uh, Patrick's, um, Max Gale was a friend of Patrick's had worked with Patrick before. Um, Heather Ankeny was the star of one of our films called pig. I mentioned before, um, Randall Battenkoff was the star of, uh, true love. Um, although his part got kind of cut down just in the, in the editing, but, um, that scene got cut down quite a bit. Um, so, so we, we, you know, we certainly went and looked at people we'd worked with before and then we had a, uh, you know, we held auditions like you do. And we had two great casting directors and, um, and we read a, for a, read a ton of people and surprisingly, I don't know, maybe it's not surprisingly, uh, a lot of people who'd, who'd been in things, um, came in and read for us. And I think it's, I guess it's not surprising. It's surprising in the sense that some people think that, you know, uh, name actors or whatever won't come in for an ultra low budget film, but that's not true. If it's a drama, if it's not a genre film, if it's a, if it's like a, a genre or an arty kind of a film and you know, the, the, the role looks good and the, and the script is good and the filmmaker has worked with actors before and, and, and they can go and look at the work then it's not impossible. And Henry's, you know, Henry's been doing this for a long time. He's terrific with actors. That's his strong suit. Um, and they could look at House of Jack built on Netflix or, or look at Pig or one of the other films we've done and, and, um, and see that, you know, he was really good with actors. And so we read some pretty famous people. I mean, people that came in there, it's like, wow, that person had their own HBO show. I can't believe they're reading for us or whatever. But, um, and so through the auditions, we found people like, uh, Tanya Clark, who's the second lead in the movie, plays the wife. She's terrific. She's been on a lot of stuff. Um, uh, Travis Schultz, who, who was on, who was in, uh, 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 scrubs for a long time. He was terrific. Um, and then another group of actors came from, uh, uh, a friend of ours, uh, has an acting class at, um, um, Playhouse West where, where Henry has had, had, had acted before years ago. And we've always used actors out of Playhouse West. Um, we have a really good relationship with them. And he, on a couple of scenes, we worked with, um, students, that Henry could workshop the scenes with. And, um, those scenes turned out really well. So these are not necessarily famous people, but they're, they're really great, uh, in the movie. So, mm-hmm. so the acting came from a lot of different, you know, places, but, um, but it, again, first and foremost, get the best actor in there. People who are really good. Yeah. 
Now, preparation is key, it sounds like, for this project. I mean, bringing in the uh, the lead character, the lead actor, while the script is being written, uh, workshopping the scenes with the students. It seems like the pre-production is, is, is fairly intense. When it came to shooting this, a lot of it is in a car and you're driving around, I assume. It's Uber, you know, it's Driver X. Did you rehearse those in, in a car in a garage somewhere or uh, was it just go time? And did you circle the block or just give me a little feeling of how that yeah. went down? So so to speak specifically, uh, I can come back and talk about the preparation and stuff if you want, because there's it's kind of interesting in this particular movie. But as far as the driving stuff, that was something that we'd never really done before. We'd, we'd, we'd had some some driving scenes in, in uh, previous films, but they were minimal there was minimal dialogue. It was done during the day. It was usually just, you know, handheld camera in the car, either in the back seat or in one of the two front seats. Um, uh, and whereas this this movie is, you know, there are seven, eight page scenes of dialogue that are, are taking place in the car. And um, we'd never done that before. Uh, I started kind of researching how to do this. We knew we weren't going to be able to get a process trailer. We weren't going to have the money to do that. Um, uh, and we, we actually even looked at a, there's a process where you can shoot on the stage that people do a lot now in television, especially I see it all the time. Now I can, I can pick those, those shots out all, you know, very easily now, but, um, we, we looked at that just for fun to see how that worked, but it was, it was not only super expensive, but it was also, you could tell it was just kind of phony. And in this movie, it really needed to look, uh, authentic. Um, mm-hmm. the dialogue and the characters were, were kind of written that way. And, and it, so it needed to be authentic. Although, the one of the early early mandates from Henry was that the film needed to be cinematic and not look like uh, taxicab confessions. Um, so there was no GoPro, you know, mounted in the corner of the windshield, you know, with a, with one light, you know, kind of lighting up the whole car, kind of a look. We we wanted to feel like a movie, and so um, weren't exactly sure how to do that. I talked to some different filmmakers who'd worked um, on small budgets with you know doing car stuff, and then we came across this uh, gentleman named Daniel Lynn, who was a friend of our uh, cinematographer on the on, on the house that Jack built. Um, uh, that uh, guy couldn't do the movie. He was living in New York now, and uh, he said, "Well, you should call my buddy up. You know, I went to school with him at AFM. AF, sorry, AFM, AFI." And um, we met with Dan. Uh, actually, Henry had had, uh, had met with him, and then they sh- they shot a music video together. And then um, Dan had worked uh, had done a short film where. He he had shot a couple of nights in the car uh, and we looked at that footage and it looked terrific. And he kind of showed us the rig and he had pictures of how he'd rigged it up. And the great thing about that rig was, um, you know, the, the, the camera mounted the car shots, you know, either on the hood or on the sides when they were on the sides, there was no hostess tray. It was, it was a very small mount. It was a small camera and the camera never stuck out beyond the side mirrors so uh, he told us that basically, if you don't, that doesn't stick out beside, uh, outside the side mirrors, um, you won't need a permit. Um, you'll need what's called a grid permit, but you don't need a. I'm sorry, you don't need a, a police escort. Um, and so all we did was buy a $710 grid permit, which just kind of allowed us to be on the street with this car. Um, and you, you have these kind of different grids in LA that you could shoot in and, um, never needed any police escort or anything like that, which would have been prohibitively expensive. There's no way we'd be, we would have been able to do the movie that way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, uh, we, we, and he, he had this kind of interesting way of lighting the film that he'd come up with, um, with a friend of his, they kind of built these lights, these battery operated LED lights. They're very light. They get mounted to the, to the, um, 
to the hood of the uh, of the car, and they emulate streetlight. So they come in through the windows. So it's very natural looking, but it's controlled. So he can he has a, a wireless dimmer. He can bring them up and down. He can c- control the color temperature of those lights, mm-hmm. and they can they can look like street lights. But he can control when they come up. They can you know if it's a dramatic scene and there's a particular line of dialogue he wants to bring them up, he can do that. And so um, we had seen that whole you know we'd seen what that looked like, and we thought that's let's go with that. And um, so the driving stuff. Uh, to kind of give you a quick idea of the, how that looked, we basically rented a van, a minivan, um, and I drove the van. Henry was in the front seat uh, with a monitor, with a portable monitor. We were sending uh, wireless video to the van um, through a Teradek. And um, the DP, Dan, would sit in the back seat uh, with these uh, DMX dimmers, these wireless dimmers, to bring the lights up and down um, and to, you know... Uh, uh, if he had a, if, if the car, if the camera was mounted to the, to the hood or to the side, you know, um, he was obviously monitoring that. If we had a, um, if we were shooting inside the, 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 the car, we had a, a guy who was really small, who was our camera operator, um, who was terrific. Um, Dan's a big guy and this guy was little, so he was in the Prius if we were doing any handheld stuff and then he could, he could radio to him and give him notes, um, you know, while he was monitoring that. And then we had a first AC sitting next to Dan, um, who had a wireless uh, follow focus and was able to follow focus, uh, able to to uh, to pull focus um, with a press and uh, follow follow focus, and mm-hmm. so that was the the kind of core and the uh, group. And oh, and then we sent the audio to the to the van wirelessly and um, ran that into the uh, auxiliary port of the van. So we were listening to all the audio on the speakers. We had a walkie-talkie that we would talk back to the um, to the actor uh, to, to Patrick. Um, uh, and give them notes. And so, uh, generally the only people in the car were the actors. The sound person was crammed in the very back in the, in the, uh, the trunk area of the Prius. <laughs> and then sometimes if we had a, obviously we had a, uh, if the camera was handheld inside the car, we had a camera operator and that was, that was the only people in the car. So that was essentially what we were doing. The crew beyond that was we had a grip and uh, uh, one grip and one electric. Um, and, um, sometimes I had a, uh, helper, like a PA type of helper. Um, you know, we we're shooting these, 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 all these driving st- stuff at night. And then I had a base camp. Uh, we'd have a base camp set up either at my apartment or Henry's house. And one time we did it at a friend's uh, apartment. It was hard to, you know, find people to do that because you're, you're doing that all night. Um, and the base camp was basically, you needed somebody to, to be at the base camp to, to check in the actors. And you'd have actors that would show up in the middle of the night for their scenes. Um, so you needed somebody that was there to kind of let them in. And if they hadn't worked for you before, and a lot of them were day players that were just working one day, they would, you know, sign the paperwork. And then some, and that person was, would make the meals for us. So lunch was generally around 1130 PM and they would make, you know, cook something um, at that, you know, my apartment or Henry's house. And then, and so we, uh, you know, we'd come back for lunch and eat and, and that's kind of how that, that driving stuff went. As far as rehearsal, Henry doesn't really like to rehearse. I mean, other than workshopping to kind of get it dialed dialogue and get at different things. He doesn't like to do rehearsals. So people would show up and they get in the car and we'd, on we'd go, you know, um, that's, that's exciting. Point. That's an exciting way to make a film. It was really fun. I have to say it was a lot of work. It was, I mean, I don't know if I've ever worked that hard. I mean, I, all these films are really hard, but I didn't have a lot of help. And, uh, I mean, I was the media manager. I was the second AD putting the call sheets together. I was the dude doing the walkies and craft service. And I mean, it was, it was brutal, um, but it was fun. Once we once we were out in the car, it was really a lot of fun. 
Now that it's in the can and, uh, you know, it's going to be released November 30th, um, are you happy with it? Did it turn oh, out yeah. the way you, you wanted it to? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I mean, for a number of reasons. I mean, I think the way it looks, which is not usually the most important thing to me. I mean, I think, you know, the idea for me, and especially if I'm, if I'm teaching a class, is to say, you know, it needs to look as good as it needs to be. I mean, a good-looking film doesn't get you anywhere. It just needs to look like what it needs to look like is kind of the way I like to say it or whatever. Maybe I say it a little bit better in the class. But, um, but you know, I think it looks it looks very – it looks great. I mean, Dan did a terrific job considering how little money – how much money we had. And um, and so it looks very, obviously very professional, which is, a, which is important to us. Um, and probably maybe more than that, it sounds really great. Um, uh, we had a guy named Michael Cooper do the sound and he was, uh, you know, very particular. We got great audio in the car. Um, and, um, that's obviously really important when you're doing in any, any kind of movie. Um, and you know, some, when I, we shot it, uh, we started shooting it in middle of 2015. You know, I just turned 50 and I like the movie. I related to it somewhat, but it's over the years and watching it, it's, it's like, it's starting to really click with me personally. Like there are lines in that movie. I'm like, Oh my God, that's exactly how I feel right now is getting older. And so I really feel like the movie says something um, important and, um, and meaningful, I guess, to, to people of a certain age. And, um, and that's become, that's become more clear to me since we've made it. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the movie. I, I thought, um, I thought Henry did a terrific job and everybody else and, and Patrick was amazing and, um, all the, you know, all the performers were great and, and, um, and, uh, I mean, I'm really proud of it. I mean, I, I like to talk about it. I like to, um, you know, I'll probably teach a class on it. I'll probably put together, I've already put together a little presentation that I plan on doing a kind of, you know, making of presentation, um, talk about, you know, how we financed it and, you know, how much things cost and, you know, all these kinds of, you know, the Kickstarter campaign, all these kinds of things. Um, but, um, cause I'm really, you know, I'm really proud of the, how it turned out. And, um, and I'm hopeful that with the, with this IFC release that we'll get some people in the theater to see it. We'll people see it on VOD and, and, um, uh, you know, it'll have a chance. I mean, there's so many movies that get released every weekend. It's, it's hard. It's an uphill battle, but, um, but, uh, uh, but again, that trailer, you know, I was very pleased with the trailer and, um, and that's, you know, one of the, the, the big kind of marketing assets is your trailer. So, uh, mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job on that. Now, can you talk about, can you talk about the dynamic working with, uh, the same director, uh, on so many projects you guys are, are a pretty tight team. Yeah, it's it's a little like a, a marriage, you know. It's like you 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 uh, you kind of know what the other person's thinking. You know, you know, you know the strengths and weaknesses of the other person. Um, uh, you um, you generally, you know, if you fight, you generally, uh, you know, it's like fighting over the kids. You know, you're not you're you're fighting to make your have your kids grow up better as opposed to who's right, you know, with mm-hmm. us, um, when we, when we fight about something, it's a, it's a, if it's, a, it's about, you know, it's not about winning the fight. It's about, ma- you know, making the movie as good as it can be. So you, you know, you fight over little things in the movie and stuff. And we've, we've been, 
doing that for you know for years and and um and it's you know it's always respectful and and I'm not saying fighting but you know when when you kind of like you know you have a different opinion on something and you you know we 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 do test screens we'll test things um and the other person you know if we can kind of get to like a uh, well, yeah, you were right. That that tested better. You were right. You know, there's a lot of that. You know, that goes on. And and um, you know, uh, I, I like to think, I like to say that Henry. You know, he's a he's a gr- he's a really great writer. He comes up with a with a ton of ideas. Some of those ideas aren't as good as other ideas. And and what I like to to be in the position of is 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 the kind of person stepping back, who can who has a kind of bigger picture. I'm not in the weeds as much as he is in, in terms of, you know, the things that a director is thinking about. And hopefully, I can help. Um, you know, decide, you know, which of the ideas are the better ideas. Uh, you know, every once in a while I throw in an idea myself, but often it's just, it's just curating his ideas and saying, you know, that's a great idea, but I think this other idea was better or whatever. And, and um, so a lot of it's on, you know, trusting and, and whatever. And then there's times where you, you have, you know, you, you don't know the, the best way to do it. You you can't agree. And then you just have to, you know, you, you, you kind of go through the pro- process. I mean, again, for us, it's a, uh, often that's a, a screening process. We, we've, we've always test screened our movies with pig. We must've done 12 or something test screenings for this one. We did quite a few as well. We moved scenes around we, you know, really helped that process really helped the movie in terms of figuring out the kind of the best order and, and, and cutting it down and, and um and getting it right and and uh and henry will often do that first cut himself and then we bring in an editor we brought in eric strand in the last three movies to to be the editor and um and uh and then we start honing it you know even more with these test screenings and stuff so um so you know i i i like working with henry because it's it's a very collaborative process and and i feel like i'm probably a um you know, I I had this dream of being a director myself a long time ago, and I at some point I I gave that up. And but I've always had kind of a producer, you know, mentality as well. And so I but I I can't imagine being like a producer who just raises money and and then moves on to the other project or something. You know, to me, it, you know, I like to get my hands dirty. I like to do a lot of things. And when you don't have a lot of money, you end up having to do a lot of things anyway. Um, and I like that, you know, um, and, um, I know how to do a lot of different things on a set. I'm maybe not the best person to do all those things, but, but I know how to do a lot of stuff. And, and, um, you know, especially when we get into post, I mean, I'm, I'm the post-production supervisor on this, but I've been a post-production supervisor for, for, you know, starting out, at, uh, with, with next wave. And, um, and in fact, this last couple of years, I've, I've done, I've been post-production supervisor on a number of projects. I, I produced a film called Devil's Whisper that was a bigger budget film and was the post post-production supervisor on that or post-production producer, I, I would say, I, this whole last year, this, uh, most of this year, I was post-production supervisor on a big budget web series for E1. Um, I just, uh, was a post-production supervisor on a podcast for, for Shutter. So I do a lot of that. Um, and, um, uh, anyway, so, um, I yeah. enjoyed that. You're, uh, you're pretty intense on the, on the producer side. You're, you're a filmmaking producer rather than a, a money guy producer. Yeah, I mean, except for the Kickstarter, which I've had to, you know, I've done that three times on three of our projects. Um, uh, I'm, but I'm not very good at raising money from equity investors. I really tried to do it this time around. Um, we jumped in and started shooting the movie without raising any money. We, in fact, we shot most of the movie. We shot in multiple periods. We shot uh, five days to begin with, which was the, all the house stuff, and then Patrick had to go and do a show. Um, Better Call Saul, and we were waiting for him to come back, and then he came back for another couple of weeks, and we shot most of the car stuff in that, in that chunk, and then we, and then we still had you know like another weekend, and then another night, and then we would then we would edit things, and we would say, oh let's 
let's redo that or or we maybe still you know didn't get something and so we shot you know a few more periods after that it was 22 days of shooting over a course of i don't know like a year or something mm-hmm. and um uh that first round of shooting that for those first two rounds i hadn't raised any money um i just had 0% credit card offers and threw my own money in and we you know we weren't spending a ton of money um, which made that easier. And then we raised the 50,000 on Kickstarter, which was helpful. Um, and then, uh, I put together a little bit of money from equity investors, which turned out to be my mother, my sister, um, two childhood friends and somebody else. And that, that was it. I mean, I, I, I thought I was going to be able to raise all this money from, from a lot of my old friends who have a lot of money, but it, it just, you know, I'm not that great at doing that. And, and I, you know, learned a couple of things from doing that, that, you know, people, they generally won't tell you yes or no. They just, they just, they just kind of linger out there. You know, they, Hey, I'm really interested in this, or they don't get back with you. You know, a no, a quick no is almost as good as a yes when you're doing this. But, um, I'd never really reached out to my friends to raise money. And, and at some point I just decided, you know what, I'm almost done with the movie anyway. I can finish this myself. And I was just, I just continued to put my own money in it and, um, and finish that that way. So, um, uh, that's not necessarily the most responsible way to do it, but but it but it got done. So, and it seems like you're able to pull off a quality look for very little money. Um, and I gotta I gotta hand it to you because that's one of the things I struggle with is is the actual um, the polish, if you will. You know, it's I mean, this is where the money gets spent. If you if you if I were to show you the budget of this movie. Um, it wouldn't, there were very, you know, we had a very small crew and very few of those people were paid and, but the people that were paid on, and every film is a little bit different, but on this one, because it was very specialized, um, the lighting on the, the car was so specialized and you had to have people that really knew how to, you know, work with these car mounts and the lighting, you know, the, 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 the light mounts. And it was a lot of really kind of high tech gear, um, these, um, uh, these the, these lights and uh, the dimmers and all this kind of stuff. So the people that w- that we did pay got paid a, a decent rate. I mean, really, it was more than I had thought I would pay somebody on a micro budget film. Um, I don't want to say, but but it, I mean, it's not a it's not a typical day rate, but it was more than than the kind of what I had paid in the past um, to to like three or four people, um, and um, because I just needed people that were really you know good at this, and and frankly my DP who I didn't pay very much to because he was you know he really he he makes a decent amount of money when he goes out and does you know commercial stuff and whatever, but he doesn't he hadn't done a lot of features yet, so he really wanted to do the feature, and so he wasn't it wasn't about the money for him, so I didn't pay him a lot, but mm-hmm. um, but you know his 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 crew the people he works with often you know that make a lot more money than I was paying them you know he he I had to pay them as a little bit. And so, you know, our first AC that we had multiple, and by the way, you know, you end up working with multiple people because they, they can give you two or three days and then they've got to go do their high paying gig and, and all this stuff. So we had multiple key grip, multiple gappers, um, multiple first ACs. And, uh, but these were people that were all, you know, really knew what they were doing, um, had a DP and often have a DP like this who, you know, and sometimes I, I fight with these guys. I mean, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of friendly way. I mean, Dan and I, I love Dan. He's a terrific guy. And, you know, but I fight, I fight with him about like, are you sure you need that? And, you know, and, 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 uh, um, whether it's a piece of gear or an extra crew person or whatever. And, um, but you know, he wants to, he wants every single shot to look amazing. And I might say to him, Hey, you know what, this particular shot's going to be in the movie for five seconds. 
we have to move on. It doesn't have to look amazing. And he, and he would argue that with me. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you, we, we generally work with people who really care about what it looks like and that helps. Um, we own the, the gear mostly, um, on this film, we bought the a seven S which we, the Sony a seven S which we shot with. We own, you know, a lot of the pieces that went with that a seven S the Odyssey and the, the cage and the PL mount we shot with, um, we had a PL mount, um, that I got from hot rod camera, which is, uh, I bought all my, a lot of my gear from hot rod camera, almost all of it. Um, uh, hot rod cameras, they're great. Um, and, um, uh, and that was, a you know, the, the technology is getting better. So the cameras, you know, a $2,500 camera these days will shoot something that looks pretty amazing. I rented Zeiss standard speed lenses, which weren't that expensive and they were kind of the perfect lenses for us. And so, um, and the other place that I always put money in, um, it's just, it's, it's when I make a budget, you know, a lot of it's aspirational. It's like, well, this location is important to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to find that for $500. That's as much as I can, you know, that's a, that's an expensive location for me. And this one, not as important in the movie. I'm hoping I can find it for $0. I'm going to ask all my friends and, you know, whatever. And, and that's generally how I budget a film, but on sound, you know, I, I know what, what the kind of minimal amount of money is to, to get a really perfect sound job, you know, and I worked with different people, um, you know, and I kind of know that number and I just put the full number and I don't try to just skimp on that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a ton of money, you know, it's, it's not what these places normally charge, but I know, you know, I can get it, you know, get a full, you know, uh, full sound job there. So like I, I worked with Anarchy, I've worked with them twice now, um, Anarchy Post, they were terrific, you know, worked out a deal with them that was, you know, all the, you know, the kind of requisite amount of, of, you know, editing and uh, ADR and Foley and mix. And it's not a, it's not a long mix. I've, I've certainly, when I'm, when it's a bigger budget thing, I've done more days of mix. It was, I think we just had a two or three days of mix, which was long for me. Usually it's a couple, it's just two days. Um, but I, I'm, I don't skimp there. So, so these kind of, you know, often I don't have a lot of money for, for the color part of it. Um, and I work with a, company called um different by design i work with them all the time on on all my shows they're terrific the guy that um luke who uh, colored this colored tangerine and a lot of great movies um i didn't spend a ton of money because there's ways to kind of you know work with them where you can where you can maximize the the amount of uh, time but you know uh, but not you know not use as much time and um i mean i could go into some of the details of how we do that but um but you know uh, a lot of it's you know done um uh unsupervised um you know we, we'll set the look and then they'll go off and kind of he'll go off and color it and then we come back and and have kind of final looks and stuff um but um so i didn't spend a ton of money really and the online i, I we built a workflow where the online was 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 way less expensive and that was important to me and i and again because i do that i do the post-production supervising now um and i try to stay up with kind of what people are doing and in, in post and with technology and that kind of stuff try to design a, a workflow that will not cost me a lot of money um mm-hmm. and um so there's little tricks like that that you know you can do but but yeah the the, the you know and i would say this also after somebody, Henry has never wanted to make another micro-budget film. He's always been kind of pushed back into that world for various reasons. And ever since somebody, which was a very scrappy-looking film, I, I thought it looked terrific. It, 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 I always really liked the way it looked. But, you know, they didn't have a crew. They didn't have anybody lighting or any sound person or anything. And so um, it looks, you know, scrappy, um, mm-hmm. which 
totally works for that material. Um, ever since then, he's he's wanted to get away from that. He's never wanted to to kind of emulate that scrappy look. He's always wanted to have a more controlled look, but one that serves the the, the material. So it might be handheld um, if that's what serves the material, or or it might be on a dolly or or whatever. And so. Um, so, so it's really a, a testament to Henry as well. Um, you know, his desire to, you know, even though we're working, you know, a small way to make it look professional and good, that's just important to him. And, and I try to always provide that. And it doesn't, you know, we don't always find the perfect location. And, you know, he wrote a couple of locations in this movie that I was just like, dude, you know, I can't get that location for you. And we would have to, you know, find, find something else. And it wasn't exactly what he wanted. And, you know, and, uh, but, you know, but it, but it worked or whatever. And so um, there's those compromises that you always have to, to make with any film. I mean, on any budget, you make those kind of compromises. But, um, but when you're working from your resources, you know, the house is the perfect location because it was the house. It was the house where this drama, you know, in real, for real took place. Mm-hmm. The car is perfect because that's where the drama actually took place. You can't get any better than that. I, I saw a movie, I won't mention any names, but I saw a movie that came out um, uh, just a few weeks ago that was a rideshare movie. It was a thriller. And I, there seemed to be a few of these kind of rideshare thrillers. Um, and it was probably made for around a million dollars. They said, I saw it in a Q and a, and they said something around a million dollars and maybe it was a little bit more. I don't know, but they shot it on a process trailer. I, I didn't really like that look. I, th- I thought that looked, looked kind of phony. And, and, um, I preferred the look of our movie and, and, um, you know, not to be, you know, trying to be objective. Um, but I just didn't feel like that process trailer look was, it certainly would have worked for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, Los so. Angeles, especially Los Angeles at night has, has its own vibe and you can see it, you know, seeping in through the through the car windows. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's one of those those things that we didn't even know we were going to get. And then you know, Dan maybe knew, but um, you know, Dan came up with some really great shots in there where you know, and and there's not a lot. You don't as a director, you don't get a lot of choices. You know, you can only put the camera so many places when you're shooting in a car. Um, and yet it never feels stilted or it doesn't feel like he didn't have a lot of choices because, uh, wherever we could put that camera, Dan put it in and, um, you know, and also, you know, you shoot in 4k, you can, you can punch in, you can do some nice push-ins mm-hmm. and, and punch-ins and that helped us a lot. There's some, there's some really subtle, you know, quote camera moves that we did where we're just pushing it on the 4k, um, we don't do it very much, you know, we don't overdo it, but, and it's subtle. I don't think most people would even re- realize we're doing it, but it's some really nice stuff that you can do again now because you're, because we can shoot in, you know, 4k and publish in, in, uh, in HD. And so, um, but yeah, that, I, I, that, that part of it, I couldn't be happier with the way the car stuff looks. I mean, I, especially now when I see other stuff set in cars, um, I just feel like, you know, I think cars look better. I don't know. <laughs> you know? And, and um, we didn't have that much money, we, you know, but uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that part of it. And look, I mean, when we shot in the house, <laughs> we didn't have a truck. We didn't have, we didn't, we rented, we rented a, 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 a I, I say we rented, we rented a few pieces of gear from a friend and that, you know, um, Dan picked it up in his, his little station wagon and, and the other stuff came from Dan's garage. We never had a, we never, we had a, 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 a van of gear that I rented for one day when we shot this office scene that we really needed to light. And the rest of it was done, you know, with just stuff in his garage and, and, um, and and for two or three days at the house, it was just Dan and one other person lighting. And then he, he came to me and he said, hey, if you can get me one other person, 
you know, this will go, I can get more setups. And I'm like, all right, you're in. And, um, and I got him, you know, one more person for the, for the house stuff. Um, so it was Dan and two people. And that was the, I mean, that was the crew with, except for the, you know, the first AC and the sound person, that was kind of the crew. And then I had some interns helping at the house. Um, but in the car, as I said, it was a very tiny crew and, and, um, people working hard and, and, um, and, you know, we didn't have a script supervisor because I've never had a script supervisor uh, unless it's on a bigger movie. And so mm-hmm. you, know, you just learn how to deal with, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to have every single person. Um, if you kind of have a handle on what you're not getting and, you know, are you going to be okay with that? Every film is different. So how, how did you uh, approach the music of the film? I assume there's a, a, a soundtrack or a score. Yeah, so actually, music was 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 really hard on this one, um, and I spent more money on music than I've ever ever spent on music hmm. uh, by far. Um, it, it, that part of the budget went way over for me, and for a couple of reasons. So first of all, we we hired a composer, Lily Hayden, who's tremendously talented. She's she's a world class violinist, but she also um, does a lot of scoring. I think she did uh, the RGB documentary. Um, uh, she did the Anita Hill documentary that was at Sundance, um, and she's she's you know did our last film the house of jack built and so we brought her on really early um to do the score and we had a hard time with the score and what the music should be because it kind of changed over the course of editing um but we finally settled in on something that sounded like on the score part something that sounded kind of like our character he's he's a 70s guy he likes classic rock Mm -hmm. we couldn't afford classic rock obviously we couldn't afford anything on a movie like this you can't afford anything famous any anything if you've heard it on the radio one time you're not gonna be able to get it right Mm -hmm. you know even if it was obscure 1982 song and originally the the music uh, that henry was thinking about because it was was more his taste in music which was kind of 80s you know the pixies and this kind of thing and that's what he kind of had leonard listening to but it turned into more what patrick you know what patrick listened to as a, as a child, which was more classic rock. And we started as, as we kind of honed the movie down, we started realizing it would be nice to be able to get some songs in there that felt, um, on the songs and the stuff that we licensed to get stuff that felt kind of classic rock, even though we couldn't get any of that. And, and Lily hooked us up with a friend of hers named Marvin Etzioni, who's a legend, kind of local LA legend, uh, writer, producer, musician. Um, he was in a film, a, a band called Lone Justice back in the eighties with kind of a, uh, landmark, uh, LA band. Um, uh, and so we licensed six, seven, six, seven songs from him. Oh, wow. Um, he performed on, I think he performs on four of them. And then, um, and then other ones are other bands that perform, uh, like Helen Rose. He, uh, it performs one of, uh, one of the songs that he wrote. And so he loved the movie. He became, he came on, saw one of the early, you know, test screenings, uh, love the movie, um, uh, really related to it, you know, in this kind of personal way. And, um, and he has a big music publisher that he works with. And um, he, you know, went to bat for us, and we kind of worked out a most favored nations deal. We had 14 songs total for the movie, and we kind of worked out a, a deal where we, um, you know, we we got all this music for uh, for way less than they would ever normally do, and and um, because it was most favored nations, because we had the artist really going to bat for us. Um, uh, Lily wrote uh, four songs for the movie as well that were they were kind of songs that had lyrics and stuff, um, and um, 
And so it's a great soundtrack. In fact, the soundtrack is coming out. They're doing the, uh, Lily's doing a soundtrack that's coming out same day as the movie on the 30th. Um, Henry and Patrick and Lily shot a little music video from the kind of main title theme song, and um, that'll be dropping at some point. It's a lot of fun. I mean, talk about micro budget. I mean, that was a no budget music video that Henry shot himself, and mm-hmm. and um, it's a lot of fun, and uh, that'll be coming out soon. And and um, and so yeah, I'm really proud of the soundtrack. They but you know both Lily and, and and Marvin did a terrific job and, and Marvin you know was so great to us and and um and uh uh you know it cost me a lot more money than than normal but not anywhere near what this would normally cost uh a normal film so mm-hmm. can you tell us more about the release date or where people can go to find out about Driver X or No Budget Film School yeah so the movie is coming out uh in theaters and on demand November 30th uh if you're listening to this in the future, November 30th, 2018. Um, so um, it is opening uh, initially in, in theaters in New York and L.A. We're playing at the Limley Monica Film Center in Santa Monica um, uh, for a week um, starting November 30th and at the IFC Center in New York. Um, we are doing a sneak preview in New York on the on Tuesday, the 27th, where we're going to fly into town. It'll be Henry and Patrick and Tanya and Desmond Borges, who lives there, will be there um, so that we can, because we can't be in two places at one time on the 30th, so that we can, you know, have a kind of special night in New York. Um, and then we're doing a series of special event screenings in Santa Monica. So we're having a big opening premiere on Friday. We're going to do a Better Call Saul night. On Saturday, we're going to have some special guests from Better Call Saul. Some of Patrick's buddies are going to be there. We're going to have a, a talk back after the show, I mean, after the screening, um, and give away fun prizes. We'll have trivia and that kind of thing. Um, I'm I'm with the University of Texas. As I mentioned, we're doing a, um, a University of Texas, Texas X's night on um, Sunday at 4.30 for our, our alumni group. Um, uh, we're going to try to do a special rideshare night where we're going to have rideshare experts um, have a discussion after that and, and give a special discount to, to to actual drivers, you know, who actually who were driving um, and give away, you know, prizes and stuff for that. And then I'll probably do a no-budget film school night. I haven't picked the night yet. Um, might be the Thursday, the last night of the, of the run, where I'll have a special guest um, and, and of course, you know, the, the, the main cast and crew, and we'll talk about these kinds of things and we'll get into some of the details, um, about how we made it, um, and have prizes and stuff for that. I, I like to have, I like to give away stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. so, um, the, uh, the film again will also be available on, vi- on, on, uh, video on demand. Um, you know, it'll be on cable VOD, it'll be on iTunes, it'll be on, I guess, Voodoo. I don't have the full list yet. Um, uh, but you know, kind of all your kind of traditional, um, uh, uh, transactional VOD platforms. Um, some other cities that are coming up, we're going to be opening. I just found this out. We're going to be in Santa Fe and Albuquerque on the, on the 12th, uh, sorry, on December 7th, um, opening there. Um, Patrick will be in both of those places for Q and a, um, that's kind of his, you know, his second home, uh, where they shoot better call Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have officially the other cities, but we're going to, we have a minimum intensity, uh, theatrical and probably be in more than 10 cities. I've heard of some cities that, but I don't want to say yet cause I'm not, sh- they haven't been confirmed, but, um, but yeah, we will definitely be playing some other cities and we will, Patrick and I at least will try to be in as many of those places as possible. Um, if we're, you know, to, to be there for the opening and, um, Patrick, I can't say enough about how amazing Patrick has been in this whole process. He's just a terrific guy, this nicest guy, super upbeat, super generous, 
Um, no way we, we would have been able to make the movie without him. And, and um, he's really helping us support the movie. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, and he's great. If you, if you, if you have a chance to see the film, uh, at a, you know, with us at the, you know, the Q and a, he's, he's, he's really funny and he's really great in these uh, Q and a. So I would encourage people to, to look and see if, you know, um, if he's, if he's doing the Q and a with us and, um, which he is generally we're doing a Q and a, he's doing it. Um, so the best place to, to find that out, that information is to go to our website, which is driverxmovie.com. Um, and, um, I'm actually retooling it right now. So, I mean, the information is there now, but it'll, it'll be even better in, a, in, a, in about a week. Um, if you want to find us on social media, that's another good place to find us. It's at DriverXMovie um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Stolaroff. I don't tweet that much, but I, you know, try. And Instagram, I guess, I mean, I really do. I'm so bad at this stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, and... Um, and then it's nobudgetfilmschool.com, and that's another website that, um, boy, if you go to that website, just realize a couple things. One is I, I do it myself. I, I've built that site in 2005 myself, and I've never – it's on the same platform. So it's like going back in time. It's like going back to the 90s. Um, yeah. That's what websites used to look like. Um, I haven't had a lot of time lately to, to put stuff on there, but there's a lot of great content on there. Um, from back in the day, the stuff that I think is evergreen that I'm really proud of. If you go to like the kind of no budget report page, but, but, but trust me, I know the, the website looks horrible and, and, um, and I'm, when I'm done with driver X, I'm going to retool this at website. I've been talking about doing this for the last two or three years, but I've been so busy on stuff. Um, but I'm re- looking forward to really getting a brand new, super great website with a lot of great free content. I have a ton of stuff that's like teed up and ready to put on there. I just have it. um, I don't have a good enough website to 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 do that yet to, um, to really go to the trouble of doing that, but it'll it'll get teed up on there. Um, but there's good stuff on there, um, mm-hmm. and um, and that's uh, and certainly if you want to take a class in the future, if you're interested in no budget film school class or this class I'm hoping to do um, next year, early next year, the kind of making a driver X, uh, which will be an all day class um, where I'll give away every, every, you know, dollar we spend and everything, you know, every kind of secret and whatever, um, you know, sign up, uh, get on the mailing list and um, you'll know when that class is happening. Well, Mark, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for all the, the insights into indie filmmaking. Um, I, it was really a, p- a pleasure having you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was definitely my pleasure, and I really appreciate you having me on. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit Podcast. Feel free to go to the website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter at Indie Film Grit and subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit?